Frontier Missions Journal. Stories of hope for the unreached with Adventist Frontier Missions. In the following story of Elsa and Ian Lane, they will share with us their experience in the Maghrib Project in North Africa. God called them to be long-term missionaries for Adventist Frontier Missions. Westerners have expectations, especially when it comes to healthcare. Clean, sanitized rooms, expert in every medical area, plenty of nurses and other hospital staff, abundant medical supplies and so on. But this is not the case for third world countries, where in many cases, they are fortunate to have any medical care at all and affording the cost is altogether part of the problem. Join us as we travel to the Maghrib Project, where Elsa and Ian made an unexpected visit to the emergency room and experienced culture shock as they realized the difference between Western healthcare and a local, struggling Maghrib hospital. Here is their story. There's something wrong with Ian. Khadija interrupted me and jerked her head to get me to look over my shoulder. Returning from a visiting a local friend, Ian had quietly snuck into the apartment, hoping not to interrupt my tutor session. I turned and watched as Ian limped across the room, gripping his leg. Wincing in pain, he slumped against the wall. All thoughts of language tutoring vanished. What happened? I asked. Ian told us that he had been driving round one of the many roundabouts in the city. He saw a puddle of something wet in front of him, but he couldn't drive around it because of the traffic. Slowing down, he straightened his tire and carefully drove through the puddle. Safely on the other side, he gave the scooter just a bit of gas to get back up to speed. Suddenly, and almost immediately, the bike tire slipped underneath him. Because he was already going so slow, the scooter tilted slowly and fell gently onto one side. But Ian was still on it. There was no visible damage to the scooter or to Ian. But his right leg had gotten caught on the scooter, so his knee had twisted badly. You should go to the hospital. Khadija said. Ian and I looked at each other cautiously. We had not heard good things about the hospital and had determined to stay away from it if at all possible. Ian said, I'll just try laying still for a while and see if that eases the pain. Khadija and I watched him limp away. I can go with you and translate if you need me to. Khadija was clearly worried. I assured her that we would go if the pain did not ease. An hour later, Ian called me into the bedroom. The pain is just getting worse. I don't want to, but I think it would be good to get it x-rayed along with my back. Since I had back surgery and have hardware in my back, I want to make sure nothing was damaged. Khadija quickly agreed to find a taxi while I helped Ian hobble out of our apartment into the elevator 
down the flight of stairs and onto the street. The guard at the hospital pointed at a rundown building. You'll have to talk with the nurse and get a doctor's order before you're allowed into the hospital. Ian winced in pain as he hobbled several hundred feet to the building. Patients and family members huddled outside and inside the building. The nurse asked several questions and handed Ian a signed order to go see the doctor in the hospital, which was several hundred feet away up a hill in the other direction. There were no crutches and no wheelchairs available. The going was slow as Ian limped painfully along. Outside the hospital, a discharged patient hobbled by with a poorly damp bandaged, severely swollen, open wound on his foot. Horrified, Rear realized this was a patient who had just been discharged. Ill patients and wounded patients sat, stood, or laid in the grass and on the concrete, waiting to get into the hospital. The entrance was barricaded, with guards stationed to keep patients out. Khadija spoke with the guard, and he let us in. We felt guilty and embarrassed that we had been let into the hospital in front of others who were as bad off or worse than Ian. The hospital lobby was cluttered with trash, and body fluids were on the floor. No hospital staff were in sight. Patients in hospital beds lined the entryway and hallway. A woman in one bed had tubes protruding out of her gown, and others had catheter bags dangling from their bed rails. A few were covered with blankets, but most lay with dirty-looking hospital gowns or whatever clothes they had come in. Ian, along with three other patients and two nurses, stuffed into one exam room. I watched in shocked disbelief as the nurses went to a filthy sink, stuck their hands under the running water, then wiped them dry on their pant legs. There was no soap. Khadija and I stood in the doorway, watching the chaos. A patient moaned loudly and yelled out from one of the hospital beds. He's calling for a nurse, Khadija told me. Where are the nurses? I asked. Khadija nodded her head toward the two nurses in the exam room. But where are the rest of the nurses? I asked. These are the nurses for the hospital. They help the doctor. The doctor? There's only one doctor in the entire hospital? My eyes widened in shock as Khadija nodded her head. Why aren't these patients in the hospital rooms? I asked. This part of the hospital does not have hospital rooms because it's the emergency department, Khadija responded. I stared down the hallway at the 30-plus patients, some moaning, others sleeping, still others staring silently at the dirty ceiling. I was afraid to ask, but could not stop myself. Why don't they have blankets? And why aren't there more staff to bring them water or help them in other ways? Khadija looked at me blankly, thought for a minute, then said, Hospitals do not provide blankets or food. The patients have to have family members to bring them meals, water, or blankets. I thought back to the phone call our local friend Mustafa had gotten a few weeks before. 
another local friend telling him that his wife had just had a baby. I had been excited, but Mustafa was serious. They don't have a blanket. Mustafa had mentioned that the family was supposed to bring a blanket for the mother and baby. At the time, I had not grasped exactly what that meant. Now, staring at the patients laying uncovered in the hospital hallway, I suddenly realized that new mother and her baby had laid in bed uncovered too. I looked back into the exam room as one of the nurses asked Ian questions, Ow! while the other Ouch. nurse gripped his leg and roughly twisted it. Ah! Ian moaned in pain and Khadija hastily reminded the nurse that we were not sure if his leg was broken or not. The nurse shrugged his shoulders while pulling gruffly on Ian's leg. Suddenly, and without explanation, the nurses and other patients left the room. As Ian sat recovering from the painful examination, we stared around us. A vial of clear liquid with a syringe and needle poking out of it sat unattended on the cluttered, filthy table. Ian sat on a tattered seat cushion in a broken chair. Pushed up against one wall was an exam bed with a torn, stained mattress. We tried not to think about what the fresh stains on the floor might be. Next, Ian was told he would have to walk through a maze of corridors to the exam room. Through the maze we went, more and more horrified as we walked. The x-ray room housed what Ian describes as possibly the oldest, still-functioning x-ray machine in existence. Once in the room, a tech spent several minutes just trying to get the broken door to the room to stay closed. Two hours later, we were relieved to discover that Ian's leg was not broken and the hardware in his back was just fine. We asked where to pay for the care we had received and Khadija explained that because we are foreigners, we pay nothing. We felt kind of guilty, but were very relieved to be out of that hospital and we made our way home. Weeks later, we found a clinic that had a functioning MRI machine. It was then we learned the MCL in his right knee was completely torn. With several physical therapy sessions and months of limping, his knee is well on the mend. And we praise God for that. Khadija and I talked in great detail about our hospital experience. We felt badly because we knew she could tell how shocked we were by the condition of the hospital and we did not want to embarrass her. Khadija admitted she was embarrassed, but it was not because of our reaction. She had never looked at the hospital through the eyes of a foreigner before. She explained that that hospital is the only medical care available to many in this city, and many locals have never experienced any other kind of care. They do not expect anything of higher quality because that hospital is all they have ever known. In a similar way, most Maghreb people only have Islam as their standard for spiritual life. To them, Islam is all they have ever known. But just because something is what people think is normal does not mean it is good. Jesus said in Luke 4.18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised. Jesus, the perfect missionary, was able to see this world through the eyes of heaven. 
He saw this world as it really is, run down, bruised, filthy, wicked, and broken. He gave himself as the highest quality care, free of charge. Pray with us, friends, that the Maghreb people will see Jesus, that they will receive him, and that they will allow him to heal their heart wounds. Pray that the Maghreb people can truly see the truth. The Maghreb People Project is located in the North Africa, where fishing and iron ore are the principal industries. Tourism also plays a large part in some of the region's economy. Dates, millets, sorghum, rice and corn compromise the agricultural products, and industries include fish processing and mining, like iron ore and gypsum. The weather of Maghreb is characterized by prevailing westerly winds which drop most of their moisture on the northern slopes and coastal plains, leaving little for the southern slopes, which supports only desert scrub fading into two deserts in the Sahara to the north. AFM is sending out Bible workers and tent makers into this region. Missionaries will test and evaluate various friendship-based approaches to influence the Maghrebi people with the power and peace that resides in the gospel of the living, loving Jesus Christ. Additional outreach is conducted through lifestyle classes and counseling on healthy living. The spiritual needs in these lands of the Sahara are great and they are souls even here who are accepting Christ as their personal Savior. Thank you for listening to Adventist Frontier Mission Journal. Join us again for more inspiring adventures of the missionaries working towards reaching the unreached and tell them about our loving Savior, Jesus Christ.